Okay, now let's go back to um, Romans 7 and uh, take a look at uh, verse 9 tonight. I'd like to read to you verses 7 through 9, if you will follow in your copies. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Verse 9 will will be the subject of our attention tonight. Let me just, again, try to get us into a running start. Um, You will remember, I hope, that this section, actually this entire chapter, but particularly uh, as verse 7 opens, Paul is seeking to answer an objection that uh, that he feels would come out of the minds and mouths of his hearers. And that objection is, is the law sin based on some of the things that he had said about the gospel and the, and, the, and the law, it appeared that Paul was setting aside the law such that it had no role to play whatsoever, leading perhaps his audience to conclude, okay, well, if it does that, then the, sin, it, the law itself must be sinful. And so he, um, he tries to preclude um, that um, question, in this treatment. Guys, uh, those of you who have ever made a sales presentation or you've gone to a, a boardroom and you've made a, uh, a presentation and you're trying to convince somebody of something, you know, what they, what they tell you is um, you haven't done your job if somebody has a question. Because what you're supposed to do is anticipate their questions and preclude them. Um, You're supposed to know your subject so well and then know your audience so well that you know what they're going to ask it before they're asking it. So what you do is you formulate your presentation to answer all their questions such that when you're finished, all they do is sign on the dotted line and you walk out with the sale. Well, that's what Paul is doing. He is precluding their questions. Uh, Before they give voice to them, he addresses them, and this one is, oh, okay, this is what they're thinking. Is the law sinful then? Is it sin? And he says, oh, no, 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 certainly not. Uh, on the contrary, uh, just the opposite. Let me tell you the legitimate functioning and role of the law, and that's what we're doing. That's the section that we're in. Last week, I, I, I uh, suggested that what you get in verse 8 is an anatomy of sin, and indeed, it is far more sweeping, far more inclusive, far more damning than, um, than we normally um, chat over. Um, in fact, uh, he, what he says is all manner of evil desire. Produced in me all manner of evil desire. desire. That's in verse 8. And I mentioned a text last week out of Genesis chapter 5 where uh, a description is given of unregenerate man that every, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was oval, only evil continually. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Well, that's very similar to what Paul is saying that happened to him. Once the law 
Um, once the law registered, it produced in me all manner of evil desire. Then we come now to verse 9. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Now, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, verse 9 is a contrast. It's a comparison. The um, Before, this was true. But after, this was true. This is what was true before that happened, but now is what, this is what's true after it happened. And the, the thing that happened, or the watershed event that determined the, the before and the after, if you will, is when the law, when the commandment came. Before it came, this was true. But after it came, this was true. Now again, remember guys, he's trying to demonstrate that the law plays a very um, purposeful role. There is, there is a, it, far from it being sinful, it does, it plays, it has a, it has a useful role that it must play. And, and so what you're getting here is far from it being unprofitable. Here is what it did. Before it came, this was true. But then it came, and as a result, everything was changed. Um, the point that, you're, that he's making in verse 9 is the difference that was made when the commandment came. The difference that the coming commandment made in his spiritual makeup. Before it came, he was alive and sin was dead. After it came, he was dead and sin was alive. Now, we, we've got to kind of toy with those words or play with those words a little bit. But you see that this dramatic shift, this dramatic exchange that took place as a result of the coming of the law into Paul's life. Now, guys, um, by no means is Paul suggesting that the law brought sin into existence. Sin has always had existence. But the law did indeed bring sin into existence for Paul. Um, what, it, it, it's not to say that the law created sin, but in the life and experience and judgment and in, in, in the, the soulish goings-on of Paul, it was the law that brought sin into existence for Paul. And it made him aware of the existence of something that he had somewhat had no knowledge that it existed before. Here's this, this spiritual entity living in a certain manner, um, and then something happens, and as a result, he is aware of something that heretofore he had not been aware of. What did that? It was the law. Paul's point, again, is to show you the usefulness of the law. And the usefulness was, he was in one condition 
prior to its coming, after its coming, the entirety of his spiritual landscape changed because of the law. And thus can you see how purposeful and how useful and how profitable is the law. Guys, every Christian, I I shouldn't say every, but most Christians know the truth of what Paul is saying in verse 9. There was a point in your spiritual experience where it seemed like everything um, was more real to you. Um, Yeah, 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 I knew sin was out there, but now, I really knew that sin was real. I mean, how many of you were raised in Christian homes, in, in perhaps good churches, but it was age... 22 or 17 or 27 or 31 where, yeah, 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 I knew all that. But I didn't know it like I know it now. That's the the experience to which Paul is pointing. Um, He became aware that the corruption in his heart, uh, which had prior to this moment laid somewhat dormant, and undetected by him. Um, but once the law got a hold of him, once the, the, the law did its work, there was a sense in which there was an eye-opening that had ne- he had never known before. Again, what is it that the law is doing? It's, it's opening eyes. Opening eyes that will perhaps use words and never know the import, nor the content, nor the substance, nor the meaning, nor, the, nor the, the, the direction of those words. Guys, I did that. I did it for the first 22 years of my life. I mean, if you've been to the New Members class, you've heard my story where for 22 years I went to church. And for 22 years, I, I mean, unlike many of you, I represented God. I was one of the chief spokesmen of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Knoxville, Tennessee. But I was alive and sin was dead. But then the law came. And I was dead and sin was alive. The law did its work. And, and, and allowed me or enabled me or prompted me to see things that heretofore had laid somewhat undetected. Guys, the, the, the key to understanding all these little words that are used a little bit differently than Paul normally uses these words, the key to understanding them in, in verse 9 is what Paul means by um, without the law. That is... <clears throat> If I could, and, and I think this is fair to the Greek language, um, what he is suggesting is when he was apart from the law, in, in a life or in a period of his life where there was an absence of the law, or an absence of his recognition of the existence of the law, however you'd like to say that, that's what he's talking about when he was without the law. In the absence of law, Sin is dead, dormant, lying there, undetected. 
And he, he was alive. I, I want to talk about that. He was alive in, in a minute. Um, but we'll get to that in just a second. He, when, there was, when he was apart from the law, he, um, he was alive and sin was dead. Um, where there was no action of the law in his soul, there was no at least recognition that there was sin, no, at least no awareness of sin in him. His conscience uh, lay somewhat dormant, and his his um, he he was somewhat very very pleased with his spiritual condition. He considered himself a, a kind of quite well off spiritually. Don't you remember that? Am I the only one? I, I, I mean, I, I, that's not to say that my experience is normative. Please, I, but if you came to Christ somewhere where you can remember something about it. I mean, some of you, you know, were, you came out of the womb, converted. But that's not true of the rest of us. And I remember those days. I remember when, when there, was a, there was a sense that I was quite well off spiritually. That's fine. But anyway, there was a time when I felt like I was quite well off spiritually. Quite well off. I remember when Jim Kennedy came into my home and he asked me, uh, you know, if, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And I said, why? why would you ask a question like that of someone like me? Do you not know who you're talking to? Do you not know of my religious history and my religious pedigree? Do you not realize? Well, of course I would go to heaven. If anybody's going to heaven, I would go to heaven. Of course. I mean, compared to the rest of the riffraff, you're looking at one specimen. <laughs> That's real funny, Shane. Real funny. Somebody get his name. Yeah, and she was. This is not question and answer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> My wife was just as lost as I was. I mean, we came to know Christ on the same night, y'all. <laughs> you leave that part in there. <laughs> we came to the Lord. Yes, I mean, she was, she was thinking she was just as well off as I was. I mean, the point is, there was, a, there was this, you know, I, I had done so much in my spiritual experience. There was, a, there was a sense that sin was dead and I was alive. And then the law came. And I died and sin was alive. That's what Paul is saying. Was there ever really a moment when Paul was apart from the law? Because law, ladies and gentlemen, has always been around. It's been around since the garden. Was there ever really a time that he was apart from law? No, not really. There, but there was a time. There was a sense at, at some juncture in his life where the, where the law came. Oh, it was out there. Of course it was. It's always been out there. 
But at some juncture in the, in the mind and the heart of Paul, it came. Uh, it, 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 it overtook him. Um, and it was at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, when the Holy Spirit of God began to press upon him the claims and the demands of the law. It was a, he points to a period in his experience where as far as, as he was concerned, the law didn't exist. Although it was out there, sure, it was, it was there. But it had no conscience, conscious influence over his life. It, 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 it did not come to him with power and with conviction and with understanding. And he was not aware of its existence. Oh, it existed, yes, but it didn't exist for me. And when, um, when it finally came, um, it came with an eye-opening power to it. To see things like I had never seen them before. You know, guys... Um, now, you who have spent the last eight hours with me on the weekends, you are not free. This is, uh, that would be the Lewises. Uh, anyone else who was in the systematics class is not free to answer or, you know, to reply here because you know the right answer and I only want the wrong answer. That would be the Davises too. I, I mean, I only want to embarrass people here. Uh, you know, I certainly don't want anybody to get the right answer. But one of the, one of the things that I do in my systematics class, which I love to do, um, is I love to, uh, you probably remember this, Kat. Uh, I love to um, take them to a text in John 3. I, I spend the first hour trying to develop this doctrine of total depravity, and, and um, then they take a break, and they come back in. Well, you know, that was kind of boring, but uh, maybe you'll get better, you know. And um, uh, then I say, okay, take out a pen and paper. We're going to have a test. And they're and then I say, relax, it's only going to be one word. You only got to write one word on a sheet of paper. You just got one silly, one simple little word you got to write. It's a fill in the blank. I'm going to quote the verse for you. I'm not going to trick you by quoting the verse. So don't try to think you're going to get, get tricked. I just want you to plug in the word. And um, the, the text is John 3, 3, and it goes like this. And, and, and Jesus said unto Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot blank the kingdom of God. Now, wait, wait, I don't want the right answer. I just only want the wrong one, you know. But, um, again, let me say it. Unless you are born again, you cannot blank the kingdom of God. Now, in your mind's eye, just, you know, figure out the word that's in that blank. What's the word, you know? Now, in rolling around in your mind right now, if you use the word enter, Suzanne, I see you got, if you use the word enter or inherit or something like that, you need to go look at your Bible a little bit more closely because it doesn't say that. It says, unless you are born again, you cannot see. You cannot see. Oh, the law's out there. Sure, yeah, absolutely. The law's just out. But I didn't see it! Until the law came. You know, uh, I have people do this to me on Sunday mornings from, uh, um, well, in, in, frequently really, and it's, it's rewarding and fun, and, 
But, um, you know, I'll get through with a text and they'll, somebody will come up to me and they'll say, you know, I've read that text a hundred times and I've never seen that. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand that. It's the same kind of experience, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't get it before. But they do now. Paul didn't get it before. But he didn't. He does now. And why? What, how, how did that happen? The law came. <clears throat> Sin was dead as far as Paul's awareness of it. Because, in fact, or in reality, sin is in all of us already. It's the awareness of it that gets pressed upon him um, when the law came. And, and this is really interesting, guys. I, I, was, I meant to say this earlier, but you know, there is a statement by Paul where he's describing his non-Christian days in Philippians chapter 3. And he says this. Uh, let me read 5 and 6. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning, listen, the righteousness which is in the law, listen, listen, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Can you believe that? That a man could look at the law of God and say, mm, mm, as far as my concern, <laughs> Blameless. I'm blameless. You can only do that, ladies and gentlemen, if you're blind. You can only do. You can only make a silly, stupid. I, I shouldn't say it like that because it's 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 tragic. It's not. Stu- it is stupid, but it's not silly. It's 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 the man who has eyes but cannot see who will look at the law and say, blameless. You know, there, there is a, I, I, spiritually, I'm fine. I'm well off. You know, uh, Jim Kennedy came into my house that night and he said, you know, would you go to heaven? Sure, I'd go to heaven. What would you say to God? Well, I'd say something like this. God, you're getting a prize when you get me. I'm going to be doing you a great favor. Because... As far as the law, blameless. And then the law comes. And when it comes, ladies and gentlemen, the slumbering soul is brought to life. Paul is awakened. Sin lay unknown and and unnoticed and undetected in his soul. He was in this state of spiritual stupor. He was in a state of spiritual bliss. There was no fear of, of punishment on the part of Paul. No, no dread of condemnation. No, no active conscience. No, no. I was alive and sin was dead. And then the law came. And it was the law of course, accompanied by the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to that as we close. But it was the law that opened his eyes. 
It was the law that revealed the real strength and the real nature and the real character of sin that dwelt in him all along. How blind can a man be who will stand before God and say, you know that lawyer is blameless. How absolutely blind can one be to say, oh, the reason he let me in is because I'm a good fellow and he's getting the treasure when he gets me. What you get here, ladies and gentlemen, in these verses, including this one, is a doctrine concerning sin and how it is a latent part of all of us until the law comes. The law's not evil, say they I mean as they suggested in verse seven, but it produces the very conviction of sin. It it it, it teaches us what sin is. And it, and it brings us to the place where we are cognizant, we are aware, we are, the, we are conscious of the, of the power and the nature of sin and evil in our own hearts. And the result of that, says Paul, when it came, Sin revived. And I died. Don't you? Do you see the contrast? Oh, before it came, I was alive. And, I mean, I was alive and sin was dead. And then, then the thing came and I'm, I'm dead. Sin was alive. You know, um, there's a song back in um, my day. Um, I, oh, gosh. I forget when this was. 60s, maybe? I fought the law and the law won. Well, once the law takes hold of Paul, the law wins and Paul dies. He realizes his, his, um, his weakness, his, his helplessness, his hopelessness. All of his vaunted view of his spiritual position and his spiritual well-being comes crashing in on him. All that self-confidence, all that self-reliance is gone. Do you remember that? Do you remember, blessed are the poor in spirit? Do you remember that point which, out of God's free grace, He brought us to the place where we understood that all of that vaunted self-confidence and self-reliance and spiritual well-being we recognized it to be a sham. His, his spiritual ease, that is Paul's spiritual ease, was, was replaced with a spiritual turbulence. All was well until the law came, and now everything's not okay. Those days of security and thinking I, I, to be blameless, those days are over. And I saw myself It was the law that did it. All of Paul's hopes that were founded on what he was and and what he had done and and, uh, his accomplishments, all of that business was destroyed. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, it's in that period. It's in that period where sin was alive and I died. That's the period that issues in life. Do you understand that? Do you get that? 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you get that, you get the gospel. There was a time when I think that my spiritual well-being is in absolutely fine shape. I'm alive. Sin's dead. The law comes. I die. Sin is alive. And once I get there, then, then I live. Um, the, the moment this illumination, this moment that I see, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, what is it that you see? John 3, 3. We talked about this in those Saturdays. Um, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And somebody will raise their hand and they say, well, what do you mean? What do they see? And I say, well, the first thing they see is they see their sin. And then, then they see the solution for the sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, but the one thing that I see, listen to this. This is from verse 8. What it did is produced in me all manner of evil desire. That's what he saw. All of that pride in his, his blamelessness. That is slain. All that, all that legal hope of accomplishment and well-being destroyed. And I died. You mean to tell me you think that's an unprofitable purpose of the law? No, no. Very profitable. But I'll say this. That's as far as the law can take you. I'll leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. There is nothing in my mind, as I look at this text, this little section, there is nothing that teaches the necessity of the rebirth, of the work of the Holy Spirit better than a passage like this. Think think of this with me. I, I was thinking of this as I was trying to, um, you know, Paul, he was a hot shot. He was in the school of Gamaliel and all that business. And so let's imagine that he has some responsibility, some responsibility in the local synagogue to teach the, you know, the laity. So there's Paul in this, in this vaunted position of leadership of the, of the people of God in spiritual matters. And uh, he's teaching a Bible study. And this year he's going to teach on the law. And so he stands in front of a group of people and he teaches the law. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, you can do that? You can, in an unconverted state, stand in front of people and teach law and still be alive. It is only, ladies and gentlemen, it is only when accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit and regeneration that the law and its beauty and the law and its searching and its law and its sweeping, it's only when the Holy Spirit accompanies it when my eyes are opened and I die. I can stand in the flesh, ladies and gentlemen, and teach you the law. And I bet you Paul did. Adam, that's not in the text. I, I bet you Paul on occasion had taught others the, the, um, the ins and the outs of the Decalogue of Moses. But when it came, which I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, is a direct reference to the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. When it came, oh, I, I know the law. But I don't know the law. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It can, it can remain distant from me. It can remain outside of me. It can remain at a, at a, at a safe distance from me. But once the Holy Spirit takes it, 
to bring it to truth in my soul. My eyes pop open. And I see things that I have never seen before. I don't know about the rest of you, ladies and gentlemen, but I remember that. I remember it. I remember thinking, what a fool I've been to think that I was spiritually well off when in fact I wasn't. For me, this experience that he's pointing to in verse 9, it happened somewhere in September of 1970. Some people were involved. Certainly the scriptures were involved. And um, the longer I study these things, the more ashamed I am that I would ever have thought that I'm spiritually well off. That I was spiritually well off. And God in His grace brings the law. You're ready to call that thing sinful? No, without it, we never see. Father, I do pray that you will uh, use your word to remind the people of God that apart from sovereign grace, no man would ever see this. If anybody should have seen it, it should have been a, a rabbi and a teacher of the law and a, an accomplished theologian like Paul. But apart from the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, none of us would see it. And the reason that we sit here tonight as men and women of faith is because you saw fit to open our eyes by the Holy Spirit of God, using the law to press upon our consciences our guilt and our need for a glorious Savior. We are saved men and women not because there has been one speck of spiritual accomplishment. We are saved, men and women, because you have seen fit to grant us sight to God alone be the glory. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks and good night.